This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Oh, here we go, boys. that sound. This is a good one. Hey everybody and welcome to the Full Scale Outdoors Podcast Waterfall Wednesday. We've got a cool episode uh, lined up today. We have Olivia Wolfford. Uh, joining us and she's written a really cool paper called investigating the sale purchase and collection of federal metal bird bands among waterfowl hunters and uh, I just recently read it when it came out a week or so ago and I thought it was pretty interesting and so Olivia agreed to join us and talk about it and she's also agreed to bring a list of everybody out there who's buying bands yes <laughs> <laughs> yes so uh, just kidding but thanks for joining us olivia yeah thank you so much I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed the the paper um could you give us a little bit of background about um like how this paper came about and why you would even get the idea to write it <laughs> Yeah, definitely. So um, I recently finished up a master's program studying anthropology and focusing specifically on humans and the environment and the connection between them. So as, as part of my graduate work, I had to do an internship and I ended up getting connected with Patuxent Wildlife Research Center, uh, which is in Maryland, and they have the bird banding lab is is also in Maryland, is connected to the research center. So I contacted them, um, and I was interested in doing something with humans and wildlife. And so I kind of asked them, what do you think I could help out with? What kind of project could I do that could be beneficial to the bird banding lab? 
Um, and it came up that they were having this issue with bands that were sold being misreported or, you know, kind of they were getting information in that wasn't quite adding up, which then for them is like this whole data management issue. And for them, it's just not something they really had the time on their own with their resources to investigate. So they said, okay, if your your research is based around interviews and kind of trying to understand people and their motivations, is this a, a topic you would be interested to take on? Um, and I'm a total outsider to the, the waterfowl hunting world. Okay, um, I was actually going to ask you that. Like, have you had, are you experienced in the waterfowl hunting world or did this come out of nowhere? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a complete outsider, but um, I was kind of excited by that to kind of dive in, learn, you know, I had no idea what bands really even were. I had, you know, seen them on, on birds vaguely, like at the pond, but so for me, it was totally, you know, jumping in and, and learning about this community. Um, and then from there, kind of working with the, the bird banding lab and um, also with my graduate program to, to develop this project. Which ponds? <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> okay so I, I i'm i guess i'm kind of curious what your thoughts are of uh, a waterfowler like looking in from the outside what do you think of a waterfowler hunter's bizarre obsession with these metal braces <laughs> for birds yeah so it's funny because when i was i was first getting into the project before i talked to anyone i just kind of started going online i joined like every waterfowl hunting facebook group i could find i was looking on like forums i was looking on ebay to see how the bands were and and you know seeing that people had like wedding bands that were made to look like you know right. hunting band that they people had tattoos of it so i was like okay this is something that really matters to people and i wanted to understand from there and everyone i spoke with i interviewed 12 hunters kind of formally for the project and i talked to a lot more um kind of informally just to to get more information and everyone i talked to seemed to have a very like you know it, things were tied to memories to experiences very tied to, um, you know, being interested in, you know, where has this bird been? Where has it come from? Getting that information. Um, and I think the people who, you know, in my study who are kind of buying the bands or selling the bands, I, I didn't actually talk to anyone who admitted to buying bands. So my perspective, at least from the people I talked to, was kind of this very meaningful connection to bands. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd I mean, agree with that sentiment. I mean, for me... I would too. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something that helps you, you know, token to, to remember hunt or if it happens, you're going to remember that hunt because it's something that, you know, doesn't happen every day. For yeah. me, like the biggest draw was like, I think it's just cool learning about the bird's history. And when it comes to stuff like um, snow geese, just like the amount of miles they put on. And if you by chance uh, harvest one that's like super old, you know, in bird terms you know let's say a 20 year old goose you're just like how many times does that thing make that trek from the arctic yeah. to the southern united states and then back and it's just it, that's the part that i find interesting um i guess one thing uh, one question i have is so you actually asked the employees at the bbl like hey what would be a good topic and they brought this up to you is, is yeah. it did i did i hear that correctly yeah definitely okay so what do the people at the BBL think about this uh, fake bands? Uh, not only fake bands, but real bands that are being sold. Uh, one thing I've heard about people doing 
And I don't even necessarily think it's waterfowlers. It's maybe somebody like you who has found out about this weird thing in waterfowl hunting and people going down to the park with a pair of pliers and a, um, a loaf of bread and, and going, dang, I just made 500 bucks by walking the dog this morning <laughs> by, and selling some bands on eBay. Um, what, are, what are some concerns that uh, the employees of the bird banding laboratory have about this issue? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, they wanted people to understand. I think this was one of my challenges in interviewing people. Like, it's not illegal to sell bands. If you buy a band, that's okay. Just report it as bought. Like, you know, if you find a band on the ground, if you buy it from someone, if you find it at a garage sale, no matter what, you can always report it. Um, And so I think they were just frustrated at, like, the the aspect of things not being accurate because then it costs them their time to kind of backtrack with people and investigate. And they did, I mean, as I'm sure you've seen, they created like a a specific code for eBay. Like you can report it as I bought this on eBay. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I think they just want people to utilize that and know like, you know, no one's getting in trouble for, for anything. It's just, they just want the data. And I think most of the hunters, really respect that and and also want to contribute to the data so right and i was thinking like okay if you have a bunch of fake bands out there and say somebody puts it on a goose and they then they go to report it it's going to be a number that doesn't jive with the information in the system and then you're going to have to have an employee reach out and be like hey did you punch that number incorrect and start getting a lot of that happening and it starts taking up a lot of people's time yeah Exactly, exactly. Or, you know, people report from like a band that was passed down to them or that they bought somewhere. And it's like this bird is 100 years old. or You know, it's like this really advanced age that's not possible. And then they have to reach out and kind of investigate. And so, yeah, exactly what you said. It's just kind of a a time consuming thing. How many people work at the bird banding laboratory? Oh, that's a good question. I, I never actually got to physically go because of the like restrictions at the time of my project. I but it's it's a pretty small group, so it's not. That's kind of part of the the issue is they want everyone to be working as efficiently as as they can within their team, and so this kind of thing is just right. Um, and yeah. one point two million birds banded every year, so you got just a small crew of of people that are managing that massive data set. And you've got this other small crew of waterfowl jerk-offs basically <laughs> <laughs> reporting fake bands that can really put a wrench in the system like this, huh? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think it is, you know, in the broad scheme of the reports that come in, it's like a, a, a pretty small amount. But, you know, like you said, with a small team, that can that can become significant. Yeah, I sure. would I would agree. I think the vast majority of of hunters, all the ones that I know at least, are aren't into buying fake bands. At least they haven't admitted it to me <laughs> in any I sort of drunken but a lot, but conversation. The people who sell bands, they sell them. Yeah, that's just crazy to me. You know, I've, we've had the argument or the debate before among hunters, like, should you band hunt? Like, should you specifically go out? And like somehow you're skewing the data. And my counter argument to that was always like, well, any any data is good data unless it's false. So right. like, you know, if you if they can utilize that information that hey, there's a small sect of hunters that are 
intentionally going out and passing on geese and just trying to get ones with leg band, that's a that's a whole different uh, section of data that they can use for their management tools or whatever. But if you're not reporting bands or you're falsely reporting them, because I have heard this from some dude out, I think it was in South Dakota, some other hunter just ran into a bar or whatever, and the subject of bands came up. And he's like, well, I've, I've shot a few, but I never report them. And I'm like, why? He's like, well, because then they'll know how many we're killing and they'll they'll reduce the limits. <laughs> All right, buddy. I think you got your tinfoil hat on just a little too tight there, but okay. <laughs> so there is that sentiment out there. I'm sure it's a vast minority of hunters, but yeah, it's it's kind of weird. Yeah. And it's actually kind of the opposite because if they see how many there are, then that shows the full population and then that allows the limit to maybe <laughs> exactly. be Exactly. Yeah, it's a way higher, for them so, to yeah. count. Yeah. Six, hunter sure. success. Did it do you ever hear any uh, thing about banned hunting from the BBL? I'm also kind of glad that I have been pronouncing that Patuxent correctly. Oh yeah, like that is yeah. the weirdest. I don't. I can't even remember how that's spelled right now. But I, in my mind, I was just sounded out Patuxent, and that's the actual. Is it the National Wildlife Refuge where the BBL is located? Yeah. So they have. There's the refuge, and then there's a research center, and it, I actually probably should correct it because they just merged with another center. So now it's Eastern Ecological Resource, Resource Center, Research mm -hmm. Center. Um, so that's where the BBL is like housed, um, but it's, you know, the national office. Um, but yeah, I know that there have been in the course of my research, like just seeing what kind of like academic literature about waterfall hunters out there, which there isn't very much, but um, there was a study I came across and I'll try to look for it after, but where they found that people were disproportionately going after banded birds. Mm -hmm. And and that's something I think biologists have kind of been trying to make sense of. Um, but, you know, ultimately it's, it's still, like you said, providing information. Um, I think kind of some weirder things that were happening, like I, I heard so many strange stories from hunters about like, you know, there's this specific lake where there's like a mass die off of birds from this algae and people will go there and just like sweep all the bands or or kind of different, different ways <laughs> that people are kind of coming across bands, which, you know, it's not illegal, but it's just kind of interesting <laughs> with the bird flu this spring and during the spring snow goose migration um i personally know of people that went down to like the refuge lakes or just any known roost and would walk to shoreline flipping dead birds mm, yeah and i've known guys that have um gone out and rented metal detectors just to comb <laughs> wow like beaches, like where pelicans or seagulls are known to have um, die-offs. I mean, everything get, gets banded. Right. And the obsession over these these metal bands uh, is crazy. But I'm totally infected with that craziness because I, I'll go out and hunt all day long and not shoot the gun because I, I didn't see a banded bird. And, well, whatever. I guess I didn't, you know, I didn't get to shoot a bird, but I decoyed hundreds and got to enjoy hunting for the entire day, I guess. Well, and part yeah. of that for a perspective, from a hunter's perspective, for you, Olivia, it's like for somebody that hunts a lot, like Nick generally hunts a lot, and he usually, you know, he has some birds at home. You know, he's got some meat in the freezer. So he, he goes out for the hunt, and he goes out to interact with geese. He's a very good caller. He teaches calling 
goose calling. And he, you know, so for him, I understand the challenge for him of wanting to ban hunt, not so much to get the ban, but it's like this extra added challenge for him. And it's not like he's not hungry, right? He's not going out there like, I need to get my limited geese today. He's not that kind of hunter. So he just has yeah. a different motivation. In fact, this moron over here will go into a four foot prairie just because it's public land and try to call geese into it. When, <laughs> and then he usually, and he usually gets a L for his efforts, but you know, it's, it's fine. <laughs> but um, reading your study too, I noticed that you like put hunters into one of two categories or people who are purchasing bands. Um, yeah. One being collector and the other being a signaler. Like a collector might be somebody who is um, just buying a band because it's an antique or it's unique or a rare species and then maybe putting that like on display at home. But then you have a signaler um, where they're actually buying the bands to signal as if they have had the success themselves, although they haven't. Uh, Loser. Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> like a yeah. poser or a stolen valor is yeah. even written. Yeah, I I loved the signaler title that you gave. I thought that was I thought signaler accurate. was an awesome word. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think you gave a good summary, but yeah, it was kind of um in talking to sellers and and hunters, you know, a lot of the the sellers, they definitely were those collectors. Like they just love the history of the bands, you know, having, you know, at different times as you probably know, the bands have looked different with like the write-in, like the address to, to mail the band, then moving to like the phone, then moving to the online process. So there's a lot of people who just love that and seek that out. Um, and then those are the people who I've noticed, at least they in turn become sellers because they want to kind of keep their <laughs> their hobby sustainable by flipping the bands they don't want and, you know, etc. And then the signalers are kind of the people who seem to be the origin of this problem, which is people who want to purchase a band, display it as their own, and then they're very resistant to reporting it correctly because then that would be, I guess, admitting that it wasn't legitimately hunted by them. Um, and Even again, who would I, do that? I don't know. You know, right. that's the thing. I guess it's kind of a psychological thing, like just. Yeah, it would have to be. Or, or people who, you know, they want to have the certificate to display. Um, you know, I think that's another big motivation, being able to frame that or have it, you know, in a collection. Um, so people might report as if they had, you know, recently harvested the bird um, because they think then they'll get a certificate and then they can pass it off more easily. But it usually backfires because the BBL is going to contact you before they issue the certificate. So, Yeah. Oh, we lost Nick. Where'd you go? <laughs> he was just about to ask a question. There, he's back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So what was I about to ask? Uh, I I lost it. Damn oh. it. <laughs> oh, man, that's all it takes to, to yeah. distract you. Um, so I, I, for for people listening, um, your, your – um, why well, can't I think of the word now? Uh, what you study is – you're an anthropology student, right? You're a master of applied anthropology. Yeah. Yeah. The university of Maryland. So this is, I just thought that was a good point of reference for people like of who you are and like why you're, you're looking at it through this lens, through this anthropological lens, which I think is yeah. very cool. Like what are the motives behind why people do this? You know, like, 
I find it very odd. I mean, I, I think it's somewhat obvious. That's why I like the signaler kind of thing. It's these the guys that, you know, they see these people on TV or DVDs or YouTube or whatever, and they got their lanyards just absolutely packed full of of bands, and they obviously must look up to those people or want to emulate those people, but they don't get to hunt every day, and they aren't as good, so they just buy them. Like, that's just... It's so gross. Like, I just, uh, those people actually have to look at themselves in the mirror at some point in time. Like, when they make a post, what do you think is going through their brain? Like, their desired reaction? Are they, are they getting, is it just a yeah, quick fix? I, I think I think there's the element, like you said, of wanting to legitimize yourself in a community and, and feel like you're part of something. And I think you mentioned media, like, videos or social media kind of that's something a lot of the hunters I interviewed mentioned like they feel like the depictions are just kind of unrealistic like you know people who are like 20 years old having a giant lanyard full of bands like that's just Boom. not something that's gonna be <laughs> um, if you are young and have a giant lanyard full of bands I am suspicious yeah 100 <laughs> percent when I when I see when I see somebody that has uh, a lanyard full of bands uh I generally just think, well, he's probably a guide and he hunts literally every day, you know, and it's just a, it's a ratio, you know, amount of birds seen versus bands harvested kind of a thing. If you're just a regular weekend warrior, you're going to live your whole lifetime and you might get a handful of bands. Like it's, if you're yeah. only hunting weekends, like this is just not gonna, it's not going to happen. Okay. I did remember what I was going to say. Uh, you wrote in here that, um, that they don't, there is no uh, um, sourcing for where these fake bands are coming from. Are people just making fake bands, uh, trying to get them to look as close as they can to sell them online? Yeah, it seems so. Like that seems to be kind of the newest, just the last few years, they've been seeing this influx of like, um, it's kind of the biggest problem is when people report things that actually have the same serial number as a real band and they've just like mm. manufactured it because then. BBL might have to contact the original person who reported it and this new person who reported the same number and it's just kind of a mess. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't able, at least in my research, you know, no one, if anyone knew where the fake bands were coming from, they weren't telling me. So it's kind of this mysterious thing right now where um, it's not really clear where they're coming from. I mean, I can understand. And maybe if people were like reporting them accurately like they're saying they bought them from ebay checking that box off on the reportvan.gov it could help narrow it down and like ask like hey where who'd you buy it from where is it coming from i mean it if it's not illegal to sell these bands or make and sell these bands that look very close to the real thing i mean heck if you could even just track the seller down and be like maybe just one digit off you know just uh, <laughs> yeah don't don't create this giant headache for us here at work yeah, definitely. I mean, I understand, like, I, I don't agree with it. Like, I think it's bullshit. But I understand where somebody might see a market there. Like, okay, I can sell these bands. I can pump these things out. I got a little press. I can stamp some numbers on some things and crimp them and sell them on eBay. Like, I understand that person's motivation. It's purely monetary. But for the people buying it, why even report it? That's what I don't yeah. understand. Like, if I were to buy a band... I don't, why would you report it? Like, if you're just looking for that clout, you know, to put it on your lanyard, take your selfie and post it. Like, what, I, 
what do you get from actually trying to report a band you bought? Like, I guess yeah. unless, like you said, Olivia, you said earlier, maybe you want that certificate, but now they just email you one. Before they actually did, like, mail you one, but now it's just an email. And, like, I don't know of anybody that's printing off their email and, you know, <laughs> framing it. Maybe they do, but that seems I weird. should start. <laughs> should. <laughs> yeah, I think some, um, with the fake bands, I think there's also the issue of, like, honesty at the point of sale because some i think i talked to a couple of people they were like you know collectors sellers of legitimate bands and they had been fooled like recently by fake bands um even though they work with bands all the time so some of the fake bands aren't being like disclosed as such like someone's not you know saying hey i just you know whipped up these bands if you want some they're they're trying to pass them off as being real too so the person who buys them might have good intentions with like, okay, I'm going to report this. And then it's, you know, it's the same serial number. So they're having to, you know, investigate that, or it's a serial number that doesn't exist. So they're having to investigate that. So I think kind of what I think is sellers also have to make sure they're, you know, giving the buyer as much correct information as possible. Well, yeah, they're making fake ones and that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I've, I've talked like with my buddy Joe a couple times we've been able to spot fake bands just by um almost like the thickness or the uh, the polish on the metal or a lot of times the um the numbers that are stamped in a slightly different font or even depth mm-hmm. and um and you can they kind of I mean if somebody gave you like a fake nickel and it was just off by a little bit you'd be like what the hell's going on with that nickel you know like you could just have seen so many of them that you can tell. And uh, sometimes that's the only thing really distinguishable about them is like, this thing just looks weird. Well, and Nick, don't they have, they're, they're like numbered in series too. So like, I'm not, I haven't seen as many bands as like you or Joe has probably, but like, you can kind of recognize like, that's this series that bird is, should be pretty old. And if that band mm-hmm. is like bright and shiny with that, or is that not the case? Uh, I don't think so. Oh, like right. I know that the last digit of the first sequence is the band size, mm. but I mean, some of my older ones are like nine nine eights for geese, and some of my newer ones are like one oh two eights or one oh five eights. So I mean, so not really. Oh, okay. Well, no, I don't know what the numbers really signify. Are they just random? Did you learn that, Olivia? Like what the numbers mean? You get any of that information? I, I should know this exactly. I know that there's like from the numbers, at least the biologists, they could tell what type of bird it was based on something about the numbers um, from just seeing the band. So I hope I'm correct on that. But yeah, I know that they definitely are meaningful. Um, like every digit? I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I wish I, I wish I knew. <laughs> I wish All I, could I know is the last digit is the size. So like an eight is going to be on a Canada goose. A seven will be on a mallard. A six would be on uh, so on and so forth. Smaller, smaller birds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you, uh, after doing this study, have you, it's kind of a two-part question. Have you had any interest in then being a part of a banding project? Or, or has it also piqued an interest in hunting at all? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for me, probably more the former, like being part of banding, like that's something I would really love to do. And 
Um, I wish I'd been able to like go to the bird banding lab and, and kind of see that process in action. I don't know if hunting is for me. I definitely have a lot of respect for, for hunters and everyone I spoke to was conservation was su such a big thing for them and, and kind of the connection to the environment. So that's something I really respect, but I don't know if, if hunting is, is going to be for me. <laughs> sure. Well, I would think try to get in on, uh, I've done some songbird banding. There's a lot less weirdos there. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different kind of weirdo. Those are the bird watching yeah. weirdos. It's like the 55 year old guys with the, like the Merrill boots and the Sam's club blue jeans that know everything about nature are yeah. there. <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie, a good year or a big, yeah, is it a big year? Is it no. a big year? Yeah. I think it's a big year. It's actually uh -uh, a pretty no. good movie. No, everybody's I've been got. That. It's <laughs> about. Everybody's got it's, mustaches. It's literally a, with their dog hair on it. It's literally about bird watching. <laughs> I know. At, I, at one point, I wanted to try to talk to because there are some like specifically like bird watchers who are into photography are also oh, yeah. like a subset of who's reporting, like a much smaller subset, and that's also a very intense community so um but yeah i really want to see like a hummingbird get banded I, those bands are so tiny i'm really that would curious. be cool that would be really cool i wonder did they catch them in mist nets i don't i don't even want to get into it <laughs> <laughs> oh that reminded me of a question i was going to ask earlier um crap no i can't remember it'll come to me well Keep... we have been going on for a half hour um and i'm, I'm basically out of questions so uh <sighs> Maybe we could just call it here. All right. So, yeah, is it, does this study leading into any other studies? Is this kind of a one and done for you? Yeah, I think I've kind of closed it for now, but I'm I'm hoping to try to publish it um, in a journal this year. And, and I definitely want to keep being involved with bird conservation research somehow. But, um, yeah, it was really interesting experience. Very cool. Well, Olivia, thank you very much for doing this. This was great. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was nice to meet you all. You yeah, you nice to meet you too. Thanks again for coming on. Yeah. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. All right. She's gone. She gone. She's gone. Well, that was cool. Just like that. Yeah, that was fun. I'm, uh, I'm a little surprised that she uh, had no experience uh, with the hunting world before this. Because you'd think it'd be like my crazy uncle and his fucking weird band collection. Right. Well, I, th I think she it, it made sense that she was like, well, I contacted them and like, you know what you could do? Right. This that is was kicking our ass. That the people in the BBL are like, find out a little bit more about these fucks. <laughs> do, do some digging about these jack wagons. <laughs> yeah. like, seriously. If any of you twat waffles out there that do that are listening, could you stop? I mean, how much money, how, like, is there, like, can you make legitimate money doing that? Like, how many Hi. bands would you have to sell to make it worth it your time? It's, is it legitimate money to sell fake bands? That's about as legit money as a meth lab money. You well, know? I'm just like, saying, like how, like, how many could, what's the volume? What are we talking about here? Like, how many could you? Peter, I, like, I've never talked to somebody selling bands who was like, I couldn't find a band, I couldn't find a buyer. You know, like <laughs> there's fucking buyers, but hey, if, true, if, uh, true. Yeah, I, I want to say this again one more time. If you want to look up Olivia's study, it's called "Investigating the Sale, Purchase, and Collection of Federal Metal Bird Bands Among Waterfowl Hunters." Punch that into Google. Well, say e one more time. And email me the link, and I'll put the link in the description of this episode. Right. 
investigating the sale, purchase, and collection of federal metal bird bands among waterfowl oh, hunters. Dang it. That's I just remembered what I was going to ask. So she had what? mentioned earlier about it's something um, finding out that some people are targeting. They're intentionally yeah. targeting for bands, and that's kind of changing the way they do certain things. I was going to bring up the neck collars. Oh, uh, like, yeah. You know, when on snow geese, well, they started making them white. Like, I don't know if that's actually true or not, but mm-hmm. it would be. I've seen a white neck collar. It'd be uh, super but, you know, cool. I, I have read, I have read that they, when they put neck collars on geese, they're basically fucking dead. And, uh, <laughs> right. well, not. Not not like that. There's real numbers to it, like mm-hmm. uh, on how much more frequently they'll get killed compared to a banded bird, compared to an unbanded bird, and it's like they're like over three times as likely to be killed as a banded bird, or four oh. times as likely. Like I don't remember the exact real numbers, but it's enough to where um, they they don't take any mortality or population data from neck collar studies. Because they know it's so sure. Okay, that makes smooth. sense. Yeah. But what you usually when you put a metal band on a bird, you get two reports: the one when they put it on it, and the one when it was found dead somewhere, right? Or or killed by a hunter, most likely. But when you put a neck collar on, you get dozens of reports potentially in one lifetime—a short lifetime, that is—for that bird before it gets killed. So. You're, you're valuing the data of getting many, many reports over the data of um, population status. Right, yeah, and I would you say... You are marking that bird for death, being like, sorry, buddy, but we want to find out a lot about your migration route. And I wonder if they're getting away from that now that they have, like, you know, a better technology with the GPS trackers and stuff like that, because they're... You know, with people citing them and reporting, like, "Hey, I saw it at this refuge." Hey, I saw it at this refuge. You know, you're you're getting way better information with a GPS tracker than waiting for somebody with binoculars to re- accurately report a neck band or neck collar. Well, yeah, but also neck collars are so much cheaper. That's true. And and uh, I mean, there's only so many people that know how to um, disseminate the data that comes in from those GPS. It's not quite as simple as like um looking at your phone and watching a car driving around like on google maps or something or like find like the find my app on apple like there's actually like a lot of really crazy data that comes in and these dudes that like disseminate it and put it onto google earth they're like fucking computer scientists won't they just slap some apple tags on them air tags (laughs) yeah right (laughs) so well anyways i think this was a good uh i think this was a good podcast this week yeah, that was fun. Like, I'm glad you. Fun. I'm glad you tracked her down. We should do more of these. I'm going to. I'm going to track down. If you write, if you're writing a waterfowl paper, you're going to get on. A podcast. That's <laughs> you're all get, you're getting hit up by Nick J six nine six nine at um, Hotmail. I hit up Mike. I, I hit up Mike Casaza because he's got some really interesting GPS um, transmitter stuff. Uh, that's called the Suisan Marsh Project. S U I S A N marsh project on the usgs website damn that's some cool shit i emailed him no response i'm about to hit up his uh somebody he worked that works with him too. <laughs> there you go hey and go anybody the oh dude knock I got on another, his door 
<laughs> I got another uh, email today about one that I thought would be really cool, too. Let me see if I can't find it while you talk about our sponsors. Yes, so our sponsor is still <laughs> Cutthroat Bow Fishing. If anybody wants, now it's prime time. Weather's super nice, so we're, like, getting into summer, so it's not, like, you know, these super cold nights anymore. Uh, it's awesome. Get out there and try it. It's a lot of fun. All right, listen to this. Citizen scientists or citizen science reveals waterfowl responses to extreme winter weather. Abstract. That's too long to read on here. But that sounds cool, right? I should Mm -hmm. hit this dude up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nicholas Masto. Look at it. Email address is right there. Boom. Boom. (laughs) Everybody likes their little 15 minutes of not quite fame. Right. Anyways, well, yeah, dude. Um, Thanks to our sponsor, and thanks to Olivia, and uh, we'll catch up next week. Sounds good, dude. Later. All right. Later.